and my vision around this is that we need to be speaking to each other. We need mm-hmm. to be making those small changes, like you said, and we need to be in dialogue and mm-hmm. conversation with each other. So, as a conscious business, uh, I think we don't have the answers. Nobody has the answers. No one person, and that's why participatory leadership, because together we might have the answers. But for that, for for finding those answers, we need to be talking to each other. We need to be in conversation. Okay, so welcome, Nancy, to the Conscious Consulting Podcast. And our topic today is, as you phrased it, participatory leadership and how that is the way forward for conscious business. And I think this topic is so beautiful. So welcome. Thank and you so much. So Very excited to be here. Yeah, it, you know, um, I've met you, I've seen you the first time only a couple of weeks ago. So we met at the um European Conscious Leader Summit in Barcelona where you acted as host and facilitator and the moment you you entered the room there was such a kind presence there like I could feel okay this woman is very very special and 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 interesting and you made this whole meeting such a kind and welcoming place but what I also love about you is some kind of fierce and straightforward energy like true kind servant leadership that also gives us a frame and everybody feels safe in that space and and your input were very great at the moment and I think overall just just with your presence I think this really made the main difference and was such a differentiator for this conference so I'm so happy and honored to have you on this podcast um so your LinkedIn profile says you are a uh, working conscious business you are a practitioner art of hosting and harvesting meaningful meaningful conversations we could experience this um, directly you are a speaker you are a systems rebel and a warrior of the heart i think that that asks for some uh, explanation and so my first question to you is can you tell us a little bit more about you about your path your life path your work and private path how this is intertwined and how you come to the topic of conscious business and um, participatory leadership and art of hosting so that's a, a very long question and you can really also answer very long <laughs> <you like. laughs> um, yeah but but let us know a little bit more context about you and and what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing Thank you. I'm uh, well. First of all, I'm really grateful to be here, and also your words, what you spoke about the work I did in Barcelona, and actually I call it work, but actually it's just me living life. So it's also interesting. I I don't have this separation between work and life, and I guess that is what is also often felt. And it's not an easy practice because there has been this context the whole time of separating it. But anyway, we come back to that. So thank you for inviting me. Just a brief history of who I am. I um, grew up in Delhi in India, and I'm a Sikh uh, by religion, which is a warrior religion, actually. Uh, We started as a religion for protecting the weaker. And I guess those values have been a very, very important part of my childhood. 
with uh, how can we be of service to the community. Community is really important. Uh, it, it was very important part of me growing up. Also equity, equality. So, and, you know, listening to all the stories from uh, my family, from the, uh, from the Indian heritage, from our Sikh heritage has really made me, or at least the building blocks were there from there already. And I started as a, you know, in, in a, as a child, like somebody who was trying to follow the path which was laid out for me, because there's been sort of this path of stability and safety that our parents uh, want for us, mm. and which is, of course, important. Uh, however, as I uh, started to grow up, I started to witness a lot of inequality around me and the way human beings treated each other, different power dynamics. And there was something in me, a rebel, which was very, very unhappy to, to witness this, to feel it, you know, you know, it wasn't only witness, but also experience it. And I started to rebel first in small ways, then bigger ways. And I think the biggest rebellion we can do in our life is to question why, why are we doing something the way we are doing just because it's done a certain way. Somebody has told you, why does it have to be this way? And the moment you ask this question, why, and you start to go deeper into other whys, you start to unpack a lot of uh, inequality and a lot of power dynamics and a lot of things which are not ideal. And I think that was sort of my history. I, th so that's sort of the, I'm, some, I'm still doing that, you know? And technically I became an architect and then I came to the Netherlands uh, to do a master's in urban environmental management. So with city planning and energy transport. And I worked in this sector for a while, first with the United Nations. Then I was a program manager of a European Union project uh, network. And I was massively unhappy. Uh, there was a lot of money. There were a lot of beautiful people. Uh, but the question I had was, what is this work for? Who is it helping? And how are we behaving with each other? Uh, and in the organizations where I worked, you know, um, large organizations, I worked for international NGOs, I worked with uh, ministry in the Netherlands here, so much hierarchy, so much bureaucracy, so much ego and power and I and racism. And I really um, felt very, very unhappy and I couldn't be a part of the system. And there was this time I had already had my two beautiful children, um, a, a Dutch husband, which is why I stayed in the Netherlands. And, you know, so it was a lovely life as such, but there was something inside me deeply, deeply unhappy and uh, rebelling. And I couldn't quite give a, a name to that voice, but that turned into a big dark hole at some point, which was eco grief, which is something I, I have started to speak more often in the last years. I, I didn't want to talk about it in the beginning, but it's it's really an understanding of, or a, just a serious grief about how are we treating the planet, how the how the whole systems, which have been beautifully designed by nature over millennia, we are we are destroying it in such a short time, and for what, you know, for Primark, for for cheap goods. And that brought me into becoming a conscious consumer. 
I tried very hard to start to see what's coming in my house. You know, an average household has 30,000 chemicals in their, uh, in their different body lotions and creams and cleaning products, 30,000 chemicals. I mean, that's, that's just, how is that even possible? I mean, all you need is lemon, baking soda and vinegar, right, to clean. So it's just, I, I was just aghast. The more I dived into it and I was an environmentalist already, uh, but now I was looking at it from a consumer perspective. And I, I just was, how can I start to live in a different way? And it's hard if you're like the only consumer who's, you know, as a consumer, it's just, it's, it's a full-time job, like trying to live sustainably. You know, I, I, I was a complete failure at it <laughs> in not complete failure, but it was very hard. Let's just put it like that. And then a lot of things happened in that time. And uh, I was still recovering from the eco grief. Uh, you know, you never recover once you are there, but at least I could snap out of the darkness with a stronger purpose and, and a clarity that I have to live my life intentionally. I have to, if I have to make a difference, I need to leave this world a better place than when I arrived in it, you know, to the best of my ability. And then I was seeking, where can I make this difference? So I worked in the water sector for a while, didn't work out uh, for me, didn't feel good. Very male, very old, uh, very heady, you know. And I knew the solutions of the future are not in our head. They are not only in science. There is this element of spirituality, this deep, uh, also the divine feminine, this balance between feminine and masculine. I was discovering, it was very chaotic. I, I, you know, this whole path was crazy. And eventually I, it led me to two things. Uh, one was um, conscious business, which came in the form of me. I was randomly going into events, trying to understand how systems are connected to each other. And I was in a conference in Rotterdam, um, Erasmus University, where I heard Raj Sisodia speak about uh, conscious capitalism. And he's the author, he's the co-author of Conscious Capitalism book, and it's a global movement. But then I knew nothing about business. I, I, there was really no reason for me to be in that event, except it was around happiness, economics and happiness. And I was there. Uh, we had a great conversation with Raj. Um, I also made a bit of a feministic comment, which got me uh, a lot of attention in the uh, hall. And Raj and I became friends and he invited me into the conversations which were just starting to happen in the Netherlands around a conscious capitalism chapter, which over time has morphed into conscious business, which we felt was a better term for Europe. And also we felt uh, the Dutch context is, and the European context was quite different than the American context. So we wanted to, uh, to honor that difference uh, by by naming it also differently. And uh, in the beginning, I was uh, very, very resistant to being part of this because I thought, well, I don't have a business background. What am I doing here? What, what can I contribute? And I was convinced by many people, no, but you bring in an energy which is needed. And at some moment it struck me, well, business is about people. So yes, of course it makes sense that, you know, I would, I could be a part of it. And also it takes so much energy to be a conscious consumer. Uh, what if I could just help influence and transform 
uh, CEO and leaders who can then transform a whole business to become more conscious. And then, well, my life will be a bit easier as a consumer. So that was sort of the logic, which uh, it wasn't just logic, but it was also my heart, which said, yes, this is this is where I belong as well. And the other, the second thing which came about was uh, me joining um, a training uh, or three day training called the art of hosting and harvesting meaningful conversation, which is a, a another way of saying it is participatory leadership, which is really around collective intelligence, co-creation, emergence, how and systems thinking, and how can we together create solutions and do sense making around what is needed. And uh, I really felt that is a community which I had been looking for all my life. So uh, without knowing that, and I arrived and I started to learn so much more about things I had already been practicing, but didn't have a name for and learning a lot of new things. You know, I'm a, I'm a constant learner. So I, ha I have this, I say sometimes, yeah, I want to live 400 and, you know, 80 years so I can just learn, 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 but okay. Well, and at some point, just to bring the story uh, together, I realized that actually these two different things are not different because participatory leadership uh, is the way to get businesses to transform. Because if we want businesses to transform, we need to involve every person who's part of it, every stakeholder who's part of it, even the way we define stakeholders. And then how do you hold those conversations? in kindness, in, uh, in total inclusivity, with equality, you know, with love. So bringing these two together makes complete sense for me, right? And that's something which I'm trying. Um, and I think um, maybe this is a good moment to take a breath. It was a nice and long introduction. I took you up on your offer. So. Thank you. I mean, it's it's so beautiful to to listen to you. For me, it could go on for for a long time. Um, you know what? What really struck me is when you talked about eco grief. It's something that I sense myself. I didn't have this term, so thank you for for giving me this 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 term, this expression. And I see this in a lot of young people too. Um, just yesterday, we had a, a, a younger colleague, he's 30, and he said, do I really want to work in this capitalist system where nobody seems to be happy? Everybody's just trying to survive and nobody's really thriving. And, and the result is to destroying our planet even more. So why should I want to be there? And I think this is... This is the question that I wasn't allowing myself when I was in this age in my 20s to ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? I was just somehow following the path and finding out on the way there's so much unhappiness, there's so much suffering around me. And I think the, the question that I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, I'm basically asking everything. Why is everybody insisting on sticking to it. Why is it so hard to convey the, the messages, like how you're speaking, it's so clear, it's so logic. It, it should be so obvious that this is the way to go. 
know, as you say, including the, the feminine qualities in opening up, in going from separation to connection, to inclusion, to integration of things that seem to be um, so separate from each other, like having yeah. a positive impact and doing financially well. Why does this have to be in opposition to each other? Um, why are people insisting? Everybody says that's not good. That's not great. We see, we can see now what we are doing here. Um, but somehow everybody feels like we're a victim of this system and we can't really do anything about it. And there is like this somehow external force forcing us to move on and to get along and to contribute more and more into a system we don't even like, we don't, that doesn't make us happy. Do you have an uh, explanation why there's still so much resistance and so much like, no, this is how it has to be. There is no other way. Or is this just my observation? Mm. What's the reaction you see? How? Yeah, it's a it's a very great inquiry which you are leading to. And I have thought a lot about this because my last 15 years has been all around, well, starting from the eco-grief where uh, it was. Actually, I didn't know the term myself when I had it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in that way pretty much ahead of my time uh, because nobody knew, doctors didn't know, nobody had an idea why I had this, yeah, these feelings. But um, what I what I notice is a lot of people are saying it. We are talking about it. Uh, we are seeing it in the news. We are seeing it on LinkedIn. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk. But what I'm feeling when I also meet people is it stays in the head. It hasn't yet gone and become embodied. It hasn't been felt. It has not yet reached the heart. It has not yet yet reach the gut and just noticing something from the head and speaking it is it's not possible to bring the change because in order to make things shift even in especially in ourselves but then when you shift things in yourself you start that it starts to shift around us we need to feel it with our entirety mm -hmm. and and the the reason I think why it's, this doesn't sort of it stays in the head is because we have numbed ourselves over time to become addicted to so much stuff which is not good for us you know whether it's just consumption social media you know consumerism um, we are so disconnected from nature but really disconnected from nature we even start to use a lot of people I know love nature but they consume nature it's not the same as being integrated and being in relationship with nature. So we do everything as a consumer, even, you know, going to the beach, we, we take. And the moment we shift that relationship, so it really is around our relationship with ourselves, with each other and with nature, the moment that would shift, I think we can start, we can start literally feeling and shifting that change in people. So until it stays in the head, it'll stay talk, right? I don't know if you resonate with what I, I'm saying. I, I resonate a lot because I'm I'm honestly so tired 
even even podcasts yeah can be tiring because there's so sure. much smart talk there and and all these conferences i i'm really i think they're important and i can see the really the value of convening people in conferences but the value is really not the talking there but the the possible of embodied connection of really meeting people in person i think this is really very valuable but it's our responsibility to act upon it and and get action and i feel there's a lack of responsibility of 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 this feeling that we everybody can is responsible and is contributing in in some way it seems like everybody's waiting for something to happen or for someone to do something and i don't see it's not going to happen and the other thing that you said is this separation between head and the rest is um probably the the main challenge we have and i i can only agree with you that this is actually probably the only path forward although we already even if we already feel the heat everybody's suffering we we can already there's there's loss of houses right now with floodings and there's a lot of weather phenomena going on that bring about death loss destruction heat suffering but it still doesn't seem to be connected to an immediate call for action. People see it and then they say, yes, that's horrible. We need to do things about it. And then just go on Monday and continue with exactly the same thing they've been doing for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, th and that's where conscious leadership needs to step in, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, mm -hmm. the the reason why we continue doing things and decisions, still the same decisions are being made because the leaders who are in the position and everybody is a leader to it, of course, you know, not nobody, it's not just the hierarchical, but anyhow, the, the problem is also we have this hierarchy. And when you have a hierarchy, the power is so uh, unequally distributed and then the leaders at top are the ones who can make the biggest impact, whether it's negative or positive. And until that stays mostly masculine, you know, not, not in, in terms of the way decisions are being made, in terms of short term thinking, in terms of, you know, profit over everything, in terms of being disconnected to your body and nature, and therefore not making decisions which are good for uh, other people, for our soul, for our uh, for our children, great grandchildren, then it, it will keep on being in this destructive loop. So, you know, so we, there is no one fix. It's not a one stop fix. It's not possible. This is such a multi headed issue, you know, this, and, and that's why I uh, decided to work in a very different way because so many organizations, businesses, systems, are so siloed the way they work. They are trying to solve the problems. And a lot of them have good intent, good mission, good, good, you know, meaningful need and want. But it's not enough. You cannot fix things in a siloed way. We need a systemic approach to it. We need to be able to get our head out of our own silo and look around and talk to other people. But you go to any conference, any business, there's only people of that one type, mm. you know, or from that sector. It's very, very rare to to see spaces which where people from let's say I, I come from the urban sector that people from housing are talking to people from transport or talking to people from energy or water 
or land. Uh, it's it's there, but it's not enough, you know. And then those people need to be talking to policymakers and businesses and academicians and you know suppliers, uh, communities. So it's it's uh, difficult. It takes too long time, and it's not very effective. And I think this this fragmentation, this paradigm of fragmentation we live in, we're even siloing our body. You have a, one doctor for kidneys, you have one doctor for the skin, you have one doctor for um, for your lungs. I mean, it's that's ridiculous. Um, th there is this yeah. way of of putting things apart and yeah. then refragmenting, as you say ourselves, the the body from from the brain. Yeah. We lose yeah. this connection of, of heart and brain and soul and yeah. spirituality yeah. And, and what we're doing, as you say. And then mm. I, I, I see that one way forward is to think more in an inclusive, integrated, and even integral way. To not try to put things together as if they were separated, but understand that at the core, everything is the same thing. Everything is connected to everything. And if you look deeper, you find a common source and a certain shared desire and a certain shared vision. And you don't have to like work on 130 different points, but no. go a little bit more to the deeper level of, as we said, of, of collective or shared consciousness. Yeah. When you know, as I... things could emerge together in a totally different way. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking that as I get along uh, in life, I don't have grand plans, you know. I just think <laughs> I'll just live this day the best mm -hmm. way I can, you know. And maybe this day will involve me spending the whole day in the garden and watching my plants grow. And, oh, I get so much joy from that, just new flowers. You know, I have a banana plant uh, which a friend of mine gifted to my daughter when she turned seven years or eight years old and so now fast forward eight years later i saw last night i'm uh, we are about to have bananas for the first time i mean <laughs> that's that, wonderful the, the, in, in the netherlands i mean that is just incredible and wow. it just gives me so much joy and i just think well you know i could have uh, you know maybe done something bigger or uh, you know which would create a great linkedin post but oh my god this this just gives me so much joy. So I think the step forward, personally, I think is, is degrowth. It's regeneration. It's slowing down, mm. you know. Um, one of the people I greatly admire, his name is Bayo Akamolafe. And he says, when the times are urgent, we need to slow down. Yeah. And I think there is so much power in slowing down, listening deeper, like when I just say, listen, I just mean not just from your ears, but listen from your whole body, listen from your entire history and and just witness what's happening around us, you know, witness what happens. And because we are so used to just go, 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 you know, and, and being sort of addicted to so many things, it's going to be very hard at the beginning, this slowing mm -hmm. down when people do it. But the rewards of doing that is just amazing. And I think this is such a powerful way to revel. Just slow down. Just mm. don't go with the nine to five, Monday to Friday. You know, why? Why 
can't we decide, hey, today the weather's good, the sun is shining. Can we, instead of, maybe even do it differently, instead of meeting uh, in, a, in a room, why can't we just go for a walk in the park? I'm pretty sure if we do it this way, there will be other kind of business decisions which will be made than when people are sitting around mm. a table or mm -hmm. in a room where there is barely an ox any oxygen and there's no plant in sight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I try to do with my work mm -hmm. also. Break the mm -hmm. normal patterns of work yeah. mm -hmm. so that you can invite people into a more meaningful conversation. Make it simple as well. Make it more human. How do you see people react upon these invitations? Do they follow it? Well, if I'm hosting, then mm -hmm. you saw it yourself mm -hmm. in Barcelona. You have to kind of. <laughs> well, it's a, it's still an invitation, but what I what I find is that if my own practice is strong, if I walk into a room because I am a practitioner, I am learning and I'm practicing the things I believe in, which includes slowing down, which includes watching the magic of nature unfold. If I am practicing those things and I walk into a room with my practice and I invite people into that, uh, anything, people will listen because they will feel that I'm not a fake who's just coming, going from my head and speaking. I bring in a certain energy with me, which you seem, mm -hmm. you, you noticed yourself, you said. Mm -hmm. And I'm not personally aware of it, by the way. It's, it's for me, it's just this deep grounding and this deep knowing where I feel this is the way human beings can have a more meaningful life and I live it. It's the only way I cannot ask in anybody to change. The only person I can change is myself. And when I change or I, I, I walk and work in a different way, I can, people can feel invited and inspired and, you know, they can join in that with their own practice, their own way. Yeah. And I think that's the way I see it happening. Um, you know for me this is the perfect definition of what conscious leadership means to me and yeah. also conscious consulting as we define it it's not so much about what you do and what you say because you, people can train to appear conscious or appear calm or appear grounded taking care of yourself in a meaningful way mm. not buying and more stuff and of each other, right? It's it really is uh, it really is a being in relationship with the life around you, and it's you know being in relation, better relationship with yourself, but also with everything around you and the people and the animals and the plants. And for me, that starts to define uh, a conscious living. You know, how do you make people aware that it's really about them? Um, I would be yeah. very interested. Well, that, that's quite a core part of the participatory leadership, right? That we invite people into being responsible and leading themselves, you know, and, and you do that in so many different ways. One way is, like I said, it is about your own practice. You, you model it. You model it by doing it yourself and therefore inviting others makes it easier for other people to see you know, I have a lot of people I admire and I, I've learned from them. They have been my teachers, my mentors, and I've seen them follow this practice. And I think, wow, that is incredible. And then you can start to 
find your own way, your own practice. And I, I notice how now I have, I am doing that for some others. You know, I still have my mentors, but I'm mentoring other people into that and inviting other people. I mean, in the end, the questions we ask each other are so important. Mm -hmm. So I think the, I think the, it's not about giving the answers actually, it's asking the right questions to others. And that can open up a whole other way of thinking for people because a lot of people are used to being told what to do or being told uh, just things and they f and fall. But the moment you invite people into a question and invite them to think about it and to step into it, it can be quite scary if you're not used to it. So it has you need to sort of have that kindness and gent gentleness. But then, uh, so so I can imagine like a, a business leader in, you know, wanting to do things differently, more horizontally. It takes time to shift that. You know, I, I see it a lot. Also, I'm a facilitator trainer. And uh, when I'm working with groups which are not used to speak up, you have to use a very different way and methods and tools to invite them to think. It's very scary for them at the beginning because they are not, nobody has ever asked. Like if you look at India and our education system, students are never asked anything right there's proactiveness is not really encouraged there's there's just this fixed thing you learn it you do it you copy it you do the same as everybody else and if you do it slightly better than others you get a high mark you know so that that thing that mm -hmm. autonomous thing is not encouraged our our organizations are traditionally high, very hierarchical you know so you're not speaking up to the the people up there and we know all that but the moment you start to have a different governance system, you start to have a different organizational system where you make it flatter and you start by engaging with each other differently, asking questions to each other, using ways and listening better, you, you know, then it, it shifts the way people show up. And of course, not to forget the, the purpose the higher purpose of that particular organization or and how are you being of service to something mm. so uh, for me that's also the thing with conscious business a lot of companies are maybe nice to people uh but uh and to their employees but for me that's not enough you need to be also good to all your stakeholders your purpose has to be that higher purpose it you cannot do harm to communities to um, uh, to the environment around you, to the future generations. If you, if you're doing that and you're still you know great to your employees, you have you know the masseurs and the and the uh, you know the best equipment for them. For me, that's not good enough. Yeah, conscious business. Let's let's maybe go a little bit deeper into into these questions. What what is the pathway towards a conscious business and what mm. really is it? I mean, you just defined it. It's being good to all your stakeholders, including all of them. Um, what's the main challenge that you see in, in moving into the direction of, of creating or helping to the emergence of conscious businesses right now? Mm. Well, you, I don't think there's one pathway to it. There cannot be, of course. Um, so that's uh, an easy answer in this way. And it's wow. a very difficult question. Um, so I will just take the easy path for now. 
I think, yeah, so if you look at just the model around conscious business, it's based very much around a higher purpose, having conscious leadership, um, uh, the way we engage with stakeholders need to be conscious, and also the culture, which is part of the organization needs to be conscious, right? So you have these four pillars, and I find that a lot of the times, the problem is uh, twofold. It's the leadership. Uh, if the, you know, business is only as conscious as its leaders. And the other is the organizational system, the structure, the governance uh, system of the, of the business. And when you talk about that, it's how it's embedded in the larger system. You know, you can also have sometimes a really conscious leader, you can have the higher purpose, you can have a great culture, but perhaps your um, investors or your shareholders are not conscious or mm. you are stuck in a larger system which is imposing a very, very different uh, direction on you than what that consciousness would lead you to. So that's where the friction comes in. And you know that's very hard then for this let's say one conscious business which is isolated for it to survive against that bigger stream mm. right so you're you're really going upstream so i think uh, i think there's something about scale here you know mm. the larger the company the more the harder it is to have it fully fully conscious mm. you know and when i say conscious like i said for me it has to be all the way you know of course, you're always in a spectrum, you know, consciousness. It's not like you reach a certain point and you're like, now we are conscious. You're always on a spectrum. But for me, it's really not just only about people. It's all three. It's it's uh, people, profit, and planet. And profit as a responsible profit, you know. I think this is where we get stuck. The people I talk to, I, I would if I could. I think this is what I hear most of the times. Mm. I would, but the system, the context I'm operating in doesn't allow me. Mm. So we are somehow all creating a context for each other that holds each other hostage. Yeah. And my vision around this is that we need to be speaking to each other. We need mm. to be making those small changes, like you said, and we need to be in dialogue and mm -hmm. conversation with each other. So as a conscious business uh I think we don't have the answers. Nobody has the answers, no one person. And that's why participatory leadership, because together we might have the answers, but for that, for, for finding those answers, we need to be talking to each other. We need to be in conversation. So uh, the way we think about it is if you are a business and you are very deeply aware that you want to be on this path of consciousness, maybe you already are on the path of consciousness, and you become part of this conscious business thing, we would invite you to bring in your stakeholders and say, let's start a conversation with all of you. Nobody has the answer because for, for us, the answer lies in the entire system. We need, we created the problem together. We can only solve it together. Mm. Nobody can do it alone. So for, for me, I see the scope of uh, opening it out for dialogue lots of conversation people talking to each other but not in the traditional way with a stage with five people mostly men coming up and saying hey i know what the solution is i i don't believe in that i i think I, we need to radically break the system down and i i feel this is where this female energy comes in of inclusion of uh, talking to each other of dialogue 
versus being dependent on this one big leader, the hero leader, the heroic leadership, the CEO. And if just the CEO would become a little bit more aware, um, then the whole system would shift. Yes, this is one possibility and it's a good possibility, but then we are somehow dependent on those guys becoming more aware uh, or more conscious or not um, versus saying it's a shared responsibility and we create governance systems where we don't have this only one person um, that defines everything and has all the power. Yes, yeah. as long as it is, it's, it, as long as one person has the power and it shifts, this whole system can shift. I've seen that and this is how we worked for a long time. But mm -hmm. Overall, I think the better way is to go in a more participatory way of group thinking, of inclusion, and of creating a shift together. Because if yes. there is a collective shift in consciousness, in awareness, you will be so much quicker. You don't have to go all the way down the hierarchy and try to go step by step. You create something you, that we call a magnetism. If, if you put a magnet there, everything shifts at the same time together in the mm. same direction. We need both. We need these heroic leaders who give an example, but overall we need everybody to feel we are responsible too. We also own our life. We own what we're doing. We are not only following. I I always have this, I kind of have the saying that uh, if grandmothers would rule the world, you know, if grandmothers would be in the place of uh, business, top business uh, leaders and uh, politics, you know, we would have a very different world, you know. So <laughs> I really would yes. love to see grandmother CEOs. And, and you know, talking about CEOs, I think we should change the name of CEO to co-creative equity officer, you know, yeah. because yes. uh, because this it's just, uh, yeah, we don't need CEOs in the traditional sense anymore, I think, you know. But there are other governance systems. In in Egypt, there was a time where you always had three people ruling the state. It was a man, a woman, and a priest. So mm. you had the male, the female, and the spiritual part of it. Mm. And I thought, okay, this somehow represents everything we need. We also need the, I think we need the male fierce energy. I have nothing against yes. it. I also think women have a very female fierce energy. We need, maybe it's not even female or male. Maybe it's just fierce. It's gentle. Maybe we should even overcome this. Maybe it's just more energies that we need and a huge diversity of energies and emotions and a, yeah. a, a broader bandwidth, which we invite into the conversation, be it a man or woman, doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah, I think I think the magic is actually in that flow in between. Mm -hmm. You you named fierce and gentle. You named masculine and feminine. Um, and I think the the divine is in the middle. So in that part. So you know, mm. it's it's nowhere. And the current systems worldwide are set up around very masculine systems because they are coming from the church. They are coming from the military. So all of our organizations are based on those very patriarchal, very um, masculine ways. Mm. And so uh, when I when I speak to a lot of younger women, I also say, no wonder you don't feel you belong in those places mm. because these systems are not designed for you. 
you know. And the young men, um, I feel I sense that young men say the same thing now. They exactly. don't feel yeah. comfortable in this in these yeah. hierarchies, in these patriarch yeah. systems. And yeah. even CEOs like these people representing those leaders, hierarchy, power system, they don't yeah. feel great either. They feel yeah. stressed, they feel a lot of pressure, they feel a behavior is expected of them that yeah. they don't feel so comfortable to exert anymore. They just feel yeah. this is a role they are playing and they have to yeah. play in order to stay in this in this yeah. thing. And what if we said, well, let's admit this is not working. For me, the fundamental problem is we have dehumanized the workspaces, yeah. the way they are set up. And I think to rehumanize workspaces is the work. And to rehumanize workspaces, we need to rehumanize ourselves. So it comes back to that loop of your own practice mm. and how you can start modeling being with other people. You know, I have this principle myself that I only work with friendships. I work with people I align with. I work with organizations which has an aligned purpose as me, similar mission or purpose. And I would just say no to, I mean, there's no way in hell you can get me to work for Shell, for example. Yeah. I just, I don't care how many millions of dollars I will be offered. I just won't do it. And it's, you know, so it's, it's kind of also knowing your own principles and values. And I think encouraging that in each other. So there's so many ways of doing that. But in the end, it's really simple. How can we just be better humans? What do we need to be better humans? And just being that everywhere we go, whether to the supermarket or inside a train or in our workplace, anywhere, all the time. Making, and as you say, that's not a small thing, I think, making these clear choices and sticking to it costs courage. It costs money, probably. It sometimes costs, some. it has a price. It yeah. also has a price. You also say no to things. So you can't just get it and not pay the price. Mm. Everything has a price and you seem to be prepared to pay it. And I think mm. this is, makes a big difference to most people who would like, but then in the end, they don't. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. You know, living in a world where we are constantly told to be the hero, mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard. You know, it's beautiful, the things you have been saying. It's really uh, landing very, very well with me. I can really align with it um because i'm the same and i i think a lot of it is self-awareness like really being aware of your own power your own privilege and doing all the shadow work you need to do to really look at yourself mm. deeply and say am i really better than other people do i really deserve more what is enough you know asking these questions to each other and i think there is there you know coming from scarcity you know i grew up in india we had family which lost everything with partition and lost everything again when my grandfather had cancer you know so we we, we have lived through as a family ups and downs we know scarcity there's collective trauma for for hunger in our region everywhere in the world right we get it but then how can we shift that into a space where we're like how can we have enough for ourselves what is enough And how can we make sure everybody else has enough and has dignity of life? And I think that's the conversation businesses need to be doing. When do we have enough? Why is there this mania about growth, growth, growth? 
why? Why can't you be just happy at some point with having a fair, decent, good life? You know? But then well, the investors are not happy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. A, um, <laughs> I think, but we, we need to start the conversation somewhere. We can start it with ourselves. What is enough for us? What do we really need? Yeah. I think this is a beautiful place to... To, to maybe wrap up this conversation for the moment and to leave these questions with our audience to ask themselves what is enough what do why do I need more for whom what for what's really important to us what are my values what's my purpose and who do I want to work with mm. and how um, I feel this is this is a very powerful place to start and I, I would like to yeah offer these questions of yours to the audience of this podcast and leave them with this and uh, maybe invite them to continue the conversation with each other with us with you and and be in touch and and see if they want to invite your quality into their system I can only recommend it to have Manzi in your team, in your leadership team, in a conversation, in a podcast, in a room. And you will see how your nervous system will calm down, how you are grounded and how you really start to, yeah, um, dive into these energies of yours. So thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and really um, like a beautiful much more better than a spa day talking to you <laughs> adds to my personal well-being a lot being aligned with someone and sharing ideas and getting fresh perspectives is such a for me the most valuable yeah present i can get so thank you so much manzi and hope to see you soon maybe in delhi <laughs> maybe in vienna maybe in barcelona or in holland wherever or online would be wonderful thank you thank you so much it was really such a beautiful conversation i'm very grateful